Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson. I'm the founder of Stack, the service that searches out the best independent magazines and delivers them to thousands of readers around the world every month. This week, I've been speaking with Lee Marable and Rusa Melencheff. They're editors and designers of BUM, a lovely risograph printed magazine based in Helsinki and dedicated to exploring stories around arts, architecture and design. As they explain in this conversation, the magazine really started because they wanted to experiment with risograph printing and I think it's pretty clear they've totally fallen in love with this unpredictable and painstaking method of printing. One of my favourite things about the magazine is the way it uses these really narrow column width pages as well as extra wide gatefolds and they explain how those odd pages are actually made possible by the hand finishing that they use for this small run riso printing. Of course, the best way to enjoy BUM is to hold a copy in your hand. So if this conversation makes you want to see more, head over to the Stack Shop to pick up a copy of issue two. And if you're listening to this from around the 3rd of August, uh, we should also have copies of issue three available to buy too. So I hope that you will enjoy this conversation with Lee and Rusa from BUM. Hey, Lee, Rusa, thank you so much for making time to talk. Thank you. Thanks yeah, for thanks us. for having us. So you are the editors and designers of Bum magazine. Um, I think we should probably get it out of the way, like up front. Um, what is this magazine and why did you decide to call it Bum, given that it's not about bums? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's broadly an arts, architecture and design magazine. Uh, but really it touches on more or less anything that the contributors want to talk about. Um, and it's called BUM really for no reason at all. Okay. It was essentially our working title that then just became the title of the magazine. Right. Okay, I see. So well, so then how, like, how do you end up deciding that you're going to make this magazine? Um, well, we both, um, we actually met at working at a design studio and well, I had already been working on this um, magazine uh, that was published by my then university uh, called Torso. And then I really wanted to explore more about like working on a magazine and working like writing and then also doing illustrations and um, edit- editing and doing graphic design for a magazine. And then we discussed with Lee uh, about how he also wanted to do something like that. and Yeah, I was also doing some writing for architecture journals mm-hmm. and I had become really interested in these risograph printers. So really we were kind of looking for some project to do together and then it seemed like a perfect way to combine this interest in uh, risograph printing with these kind of publishing ideas. So that's really how the magazine started. And we started off by just making a kind of prototype issue called Edition Zero. And we basically made all the content for that. And uh, along with um, uh, one of our friends, a textile designer called Eva Hamari. And we kind of worked through the basic process of making the magazine with that issue. Um, so we, we met a few uh, risograph printers and we decided to print with a place in Stockholm called Gemini Press. And they became like a really important part of 
our kind of bum journey, so to speak. So, um, yeah, that's how the kind of magazine started. So, so okay, so interestingly then, this was a Risograph magazine right from the start. It, it, it seems like that was kind of key to the concept at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think it was the most important thing really was just to have some content to Risograph print so that um, we could experiment with that technique. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, so why Risograph? What, what was it that first attracted you to that? Um, well, I've been doing a lot of screen printing. So I'm an architect by training, but I'd sort of taken a few years out and I'd started making screen printed textiles. And basically that was really messy and a lot of work, hmm. uh, like physical work. And I realized that uh, Risograph printing would give sort of similar effects with the inks mixing and things. Um, than I'd been doing with screen printing. Mm -hmm. uh, so I became super interested in how that technique might be used. Um, and it might be like a cleaner <laughs> way to do printing. So, so like for anyone who hasn't seen a, a risograph machine in action, you basically have a, a, a limited uh, palette of colors. And then as far as I can say, it just basically looks like a sort of an old fashioned like photocopier. Like the, it just spits out pages. Yeah, it looks like a photocopier. But it's a Japanese press from the 80s and it prints using soy-based inks, so it's very sustainable and you can only print on uncoated papers mm -hmm. um, and it makes uh, rice paper masters by burning holes in these kind of rice paper sheets which are wrapped around a drum. Mm -hmm. So a lot like screen printing where you're printing the ink through a net, mm. it basically makes um, these kind of meshes from rice paper with small holes burnt into it. And then you print one ink at a time. So you work with spot colors and their specific RISO inks. Um, and each studio basically has its own selection of inks. So that's why the magazine is in, in the kind of quite insane color palette that it is, because we just tend to go a bit crazy with whatever inks are available. <laughs> yeah, you, like you take whatever's there. I mean, the, like yeah. this... I, I can see how this like all definitely sounds like it's easier than screen printing, but it strikes me that it's substantially harder than just like offset printing or digital printing yeah. even. So what like what is it that you get from this that you wouldn't get from one of those other techniques? Well, I think uh, we want to explore the uh, with the images and illustrations the using only two colors actually per sheet um, because. In Riso print, um, every layer of ink kind of adds to the cost, and mm -hmm. because we have twenty-four pages, we've limited so that each sheet has maximum two colors only. Mm -hmm. So, that, and they work like if you have blue and yellow ink on one uh, side of the sheet, the overlays between those colors makes green, and then we like to work that with the illustra illustration so that we can get as interesting results with those two using those two different inks as possible like so it's it's always really interesting how to how to really use it with those illustrations yeah. wh whether they were by the contributor or by us yeah, yeah. and it's really unpredictable because you, because you are printing one ink at a time you have to do the registration in between. So you never really know how the magazine is going to come out, how the two inks are going to interact both mm -hmm. color-wise and registration-wise. 
So there's a lot of unpredictability to it and it makes each print unique. Um, so they're really beautiful kind of prints in their own right. Um, and in terms of offset, you can essentially offset print anything that you want, but this gives huge constraints, uh, which are kind of much more interesting to work with as a designer or as a graphic designer or an illustrator. And you can actually get a lot of different effects just from two inks using different opacities and different kind of methods of overlaying them. Right, right, right. So it's actually that old thing of like, you want the constraints that come with it because then that gives you kind of creative like challenges and unexpected little yeah. sort of yeah perks. Does it also limit the number of copies that you can print? It does, yeah. Yeah, um, it's a lot more expensive than uh, offset to a certain point. I mean, if there's kind of a sweet spot between 100 and maybe 500 copies that's suitable for RISO printing. Mm -hmm. And then obviously offset sort of above a thousand, that becomes um, much more effective. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we can print maybe maximum 500 also because of the way that we compile the magazine and the sort of design, um, other kind of graphic design elements or physic physical design elements. Like we've got these big gatefold spreads and these smaller pages um, that actually become quite laborious to manufacture. So uh, that also limits the amount of copies that we can make. But we like that as well because it makes each issue, like I said, is completely unique with the printing. Uh, so it's nice just to do a batch. Yeah, and it's very like it's very handmade because it is like compiled by hand basically because it can't be folded and stapled through a machine that would normally do that for um, for a leaflet or a magazine like this yeah but, yeah let's well let, let's talk about those the gatefolds and the little pages then because that's one of my favorite bits of of bum is like so you so you'll be flipping through the magazine and you come to what is effectively a page which is just as wide as a column and i love the way that somehow like so effectively what's happening is like you've just cut away a lot of the page that should have been there but the effect is always that you sort of feel like you're getting a little bonus like you feel like you're getting a little bit extra tacked onto what you're reading rather than thinking oh i'm i'm missing some page here like where where did where did this idea come from did, like was that intentional to start or were you just playing around um well it's actually uh not at all kind of how you describe it in that the, the page is not cut away, it's, um, it's offset. So essentially they're all exactly the same size sheets, but they're just stapled in different places. So the one that is stapled to make the column width page then in the magazine is opposite one of the really large gatefold spreads. Oh, so, right. Oh, that makes, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so you can't have one without the other. And essentially, we were talking about ways to make these really big spreads because we wanted to give um, people who might contribute to the magazine, we wanted to give them like something interesting to work with. We didn't want them just to have a kind of quote-unquote normal uh, spread to work with. We wanted to kind of, again, give an interesting constraint or challenge for people who might want to contribute, and I guess for ourselves as well. Mm. Um, so the, the aim was to like do something unique and make these big spreads. And I think when we actually, I think we'd been talking about ways to do that. And then when we met Gemini Press for the first time in Stockholm, uh, that's when we kind of hashed out this, this idea for actually making these column width spreads and how that would work. 
and whether they thought that was feasible. Yeah, yeah, it's really clever. I, I really like the effect. And now the penny has dropped. I totally understand where that comes from. The, you, you mentioned also earlier the illustration. That's a, a really important part of the magazine. I mean, do you have... Do you have like a set of illustrators that you go to every time or are you kind of, you're still like open and, and out and looking for new people to come and join in? Uh, well, um, some of the contributors uh, come with the uh, artwork um, that we then edit for Rice or Print. Um, mm -hmm. But then the articles that we get uh, that don't come with any illustration uh, from the contributor, uh, we do the all the illustrations for the bomb magazines ourselves. Actually, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we talk uh, with the contributor about the idea, maybe for the illustration, or um, seek inspiration from the text and. Uh, or from some reference photographs that they might have and um, we kind of then go through like agree with the the person that is this the way to go and they're usually very happy with it mm -hmm. and sometimes because um, we we get contributors for the magazine by an open call uh, and we're quite loose on what we or we're quite um you know, we, have, we don't have a defined idea of what we expect someone to contribute. Mm -hmm. So some people will totally just take on the whole whole spread um, and we'll kind of help them to stay within the limits of the magazine, but they will do their own illustration and they will write the text and then we'll kind of put it all together so that it, it's in keeping with the feel of the magazine. Um, some people will provide, say, photographs or an illustration, but it's not really suitable for RISO, like we were saying, it's such a specific way that you have to set up the files because you have to prepare them to print with two separate inks. Mm, mm. Uh, sometimes we end up editing, or we're happy to help. Really. We're happy to help edit um, someone else's photograph or illustration to um, work with that. And quite often it becomes like a real collaboration with the contributors. Mm, mm. And I presume with the printer as well, because as you say, you don't actually know until you're doing it how... The, you know how it's going to print, how it's going to turn out. Yeah, am I right in saying that you're based in Helsinki? Yeah. And and so the printer is in Stockholm. So what does that look like? Are you? I mean, are you able with COVID stuff to actually travel over there and be part of it, or are you really relying on them doing the you know like printing the stuff and telling you what like how it's it's looking? Well, we haven't been able to uh, travel there now in COVID. We managed to uh, visit. There, like to pick up the our proto uh, version, the number zero bomb. But after that, we haven't had a chance to go there, which would have been in normal times. We would have been able to, you know, go there and see see the printing and be part of the printing, and that would have been like they welcomed, like the studio Gemini Press welcomed us to come and help with that um, and to learn more about that area. Mm, mm. It hasn't been possible now. Yeah, Yeah. so um, we've been reliant on them. They always do a test sheet and they send that to us so we can sort of get an impression. We basically compile these A3 sheets that have a little bit of every single illustration. 
-hmm. and then they post that to us and we can check kind of opacities and uh, ink levels and stuff using that and then we do some final tweaks after that um, and then we often end up having some video calls with them during the printing process if something kind of seems like it's not quite going right they're, mm -hmm. they're really great yeah I was going to say, it, it sounds like it's a, a collaborative process with them. So so then I guess one of the big factors in this, because it's a, a theme-driven uh, magazine, is obviously the theme itself. So um, your issue zero was themed hope. And I think we can probably all understand why you went with hope for something like that. So then um, issue one was common, and then you had just, and then you had steps. So, I mean, they, they seem like they run pretty broad is there something that you're looking for uh when you're choosing a theme um we try to make themes that are will prompt responses that consider kind of moral issues or um we don't want to publish projects that are just kind of something nice that someone's designed we always want them to have some kind of um relationship to sort of Ethics, ethics of design or yeah so in that sense that's the main way that we choose the themes and we try to keep them very broad so that they uh they aren't really something that you can just draw like we don't want to receive contributions that are kind of a, a very literal interpretation of the theme mm, mm, so mm. we try to keep them very broad um so that the contributor can interpret it in whatever they, way they want Mm -hmm. um, so obviously just relates to kind of justice and also this kind of idea that something is only or not worthwhile like oh it's just a it's just a magazine or something mm. it's uh there's a dismissive quality to that word there's a lot of different ways that people can interpret that um and then steps is obviously uh kind of progress or um yeah. <laughs> yeah, but also we noted, we realized, which we didn't really notice ourselves, that it's very little, literal also. <laughs> uh, so, you know, uh, we kind of noticed that it's better to keep as like um, abstract the theme as possible. Right. Yeah. Right. And the next issue is going to be home, which again kind of relates to gradual improvement and that kind of thing. Sorry, home or hone? Hone. Hone, okay, all right, yeah, 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 yeah. I see, okay. Well, so, all right, so you, you're talking about the next issue, and I remember, um, well, I actually never saw um, issue zero, but uh, when I saw issue one, it was this thing that you just made, and then there was, you know, a, a little time until issue two, and then this weird thing happened where we'd just got issue two in the stack shop, and then you contacted us and said, Issue three is ready, and so now you're you're on this like actual proper quarterly publishing schedule. Yeah. Um, so we were fortunate enough to get grants from Taike, which is like the Finnish equivalent of the Arts Council in the in the UK, mm -hmm. and also from Graphia, which is the Finnish Association of Visual Communication Designers, or Graphic Designers, to say it a bit more shortly. Mm. Um, and as a prerequisite of getting those grants, we ha we have to produce four issues right. uh, this year, and right. we're hoping to continue next year. Right. 
So and so is quarterly then the publishing schedule you're aiming for? Because I'm struck by the fact that you know when you started this, it was just that what you really wanted to do was just have some content that you could throw onto a page and play around with making a risograph magazine. You, I mean, were you really always wanting to get into making a real proper magazine on a quarterly schedule with like deadlines that you have to hit? Yeah, I think so. After we did the first one, it was always our aim then to get a lot of other people involved and to make it uh, a much kind of broader thing than just us doing it. And like Rosa said, she'd had experience doing uh, Torso, which was this other magazine. Um, And I'd also been writing for, yeah, some other magazines. And so we had a little bit of experience, not a huge amount, but a little bit that we sort of understood how making a magazine worked. And that was always the ambition to kind of keep keep going. And uh, yeah, obviously, when we applied for these grants, we were the one who said we want to make it quarterly. That was our aim. and now we just hope to continue and we really love doing it. And it's such a kind of joy to work with all the contributors. And it's really satisfying to see how articles and artworks change through the process. Yeah, yeah. So so looking to the future then, so assuming everything goes fantastically well and you know the, everything goes just as you want it to, I assume that Risograph is always going to be the sort of like, you know, the, the, the means for making this magazine. So that means then it's never going to become a huge magazine that's seen by thousands and thousands of people. So it's, it's always going to be at the smaller end of things. Yeah. What then, what will mean that you are really happy with what you've done with this and that you can count it a success? Interesting question. Yeah. I think it's an already a success by our reckoning. I don't think we're really driven to make something that's like a commercial success. Mm-hmm. Um, but equally, we recognize that it's not really financially feasible to make a magazine that's in such short runs. Mm-hmm. So we have spoken about the possibility of keep keep making bum, but also branch out possibly into some other magazine or maybe even publishing kind of art books or something. And of course, I mean, you don't necessarily need to be going like, you know, sort of bigger to be better and doing more things that is there something that even just in publishing bum, like maybe something that you've not quite managed yet or something that you're still like, you know, kind of building towards that will like, you know, really please you when you've done it. Yeah, I don't think we've made the perfect bum yet. No, definitely not. <laughs> you always learn uh, how to better yourself and, yeah, so... And there's always things that come out and we think, oh, no, that wasn't exactly how we imagined it. Yeah. Or sometimes it's not how you imagined it and it's a lot better. Yeah. And sometimes it's not how you imagined it and it's a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So there's always moments like that. And I'm sure there are things that only we see because we've spent so much time thinking about everything. But yeah, we still, so yeah, we would love to uh, keep going and maybe one day make the perfect bum. <laughs> I love it. In pursuit of the perfect bum. Uh, well, look, I, I've, I've really enjoyed the one so far um, and uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing you keep on going with that. Cheers. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks Thank for your you. time. Thanks, Stephen. 
Okay, that's all for this week. I would like to say thanks again to Lee and Rusa for making the time to speak with me. And again, if you want to see Bum for yourself, head over to stackmagazines.com forward slash shop and search for it there. And if you use the code podcast, you'll get 10% off all our normal prices for both our magazines and our subscriptions. Thanks very much for listening through all the way to the end of this one. Remember, if you want to hear more of these conversations with independent magazine makers, you can find loads more in our archives. Uh, Just search for Stack Magazines wherever you get your podcasts and they should all pop up there. Uh, And if you follow us while you're there, we'll be able to deliver our new episodes to you as soon as they're ready. Thank you very much for listening to this one and we'll be back with another episode next week.